the candlelit darkness of Good Friday worship five years ago, a few new folks showed up for that worship service for Good Friday. Those guests included two men, a couple, who decided to come and finally check out this new church in their neighborhood because they'd received one of our postcards and knew that we were open and affirming. I mean, honestly, I was just like so thrilled that someone had actually come after getting like a cold call mailing from us. Well, that couple, <clears throat> that couple was Greg and Parker, and the rest is history. You know Greg Fenich as our outstanding church council treasurer, who has served as treasurer since we became an official church in 2018. Greg has also brought such innovation and a heart for reaching those on the fringes in how we do ministry here at Salt House. And he has served so many Sundays, washed so many dishes as part of our meals team, and he's made so many cups of coffee, and he has such a playful sense of humor. What you might not know is who Greg is and who he was before he walked through the doors here at Salt House. So today, the final weekend of Pride Month and the official Pride Weekend for Seattle, we get to hear a final Salt House Pride story. We've been featuring shorter Salt House Pride stories all month. A huge thank you again to Kim and Sean and Mark for those. And today we let the voice of an LGBTQ person from our community take center stage as we hear in Greg's story, the story of Jesus as we hear in Greg's story, the continuing journey of one who is queer and valued and wonderfully made and beloved of God and a foundational part of our community. Greg, you are a joy to me personally and you're a gift to Salt House. Thank you for your courage to share with us today in such vulnerable ways that we may know more of your story, more of Jesus's story of inclusion and that we may grow in awareness and tenderness toward all LGBTQ beloveds. So friends, happy pride, and welcome to the Salt House microphone, Greg Fenich. Good morning, Salt House, and thank you, Sarah and Jason, for being here in person to hear my story. Um, my story is really about finding God, finding love, and finding a church community, which is Salt House. I grew up in Ephrata, Washington, a small town, about 5,000 people, um, pretty normal childhood, with the exception we didn't have social media and, and cell phones by any means back then. Our religion in the house was Catholic. Um, we didn't go to church often, primarily during the holidays. My family, we lived a modest life, so there was no parochial school. However, I did get a chance to attend catechism, but it wasn't really where I developed a relationship with the church or with God. But one thing that was really stood out that I recall growing up is I had this wanderlust for travel. I think it started in the fifth grade, Mrs. Bellum's class. Her daughter came to speak to us after her foreign exchange experience in Venezuela. At that point, in my mind, in my heart, I felt like God was calling me to travel. I didn't know where, but it was something that stayed with me. When I entered high school, my sophomore year, during the middle of it, my parents decided to move um, for my dad's job, uh, which is, you know, when you're in high school, it's never easy, um, but they did allow me to live out my sophomore year in Ephrata with another family, which I appreciated. Then my junior year, I moved with them um, 
larger school, I went from like a class of 100 to 1,200 kids. And, you know, trying to make friends at that age is not easy. But, you know, I, I studied, I did my homework, but I wasn't really me. And they, and they saw that. And so they made me a deal um, during the middle of my junior year that I can move back to Ephrata if I found a place to live. And so I took him up on that deal. I had a friend in Ephrata. I said, hey, I need to find a place to live. Can you help me out? And he did. Um, I was excited because I was going back to my old friends, my old high school. Um, in that junior year, I moved in with Stephen Kay. Now, at that time, they were 28 years old, and they, they had a daughter, Erica, a, a small baby, um, which was fine. They also had a foster child, um, which, again, was fine. All I knew is I was in Ephrata. What I didn't know was that they were the youth group leaders for the, the local Presbyterian church. I realized that when, like, I think it was every Wednesday evening, the house would get filled with students from school that I didn't really hang out with. I knew who some of them were. Um, and so I kind of wander in my bedroom and shut the door. That was a weekly thing, and probably I would say over a month, they, they invited me to, hey, you, you're welcome to join. So I started going to kind of the, the youth group night, which included some Bible study, and I would kind of sit and listen and observe and, you know, got to know the people. And, you know, I didn't think much of, the, of it other than, hey, they, they seem like great people. And then that summer, uh, summer of 1979, um, they invited me to go, or actually come over here. I think it was, it, was, it was some type of Christian music festival. I don't recall the name if it was like Creation Festival. And to me, it was like, hey, I'm getting out of the house. I'm coming over to the other side of the state. Sure, I'll go. And it was amazing. It was like at this big, I think it was maybe state fairgrounds. Everyone was camping in tents and, you know, a lot of young people. Everyone was really happy, too, which... You know, that was great. And the music, I'll never forget listening to Keith Green, the late Keith Green, Andre Crouch, Amy Grant. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard this type of music and I was loving it. Each day was like new learnings for me. And as these type of festivals happen, I think on the third day, uh, I can't remember who was preaching, but there was a call out to those of us attending to accept to accept Christ as my savior. That's when I found God. And I picked up a lot of things um, along when I was there. When the pendant I wear today with a Christ head with its crowns. The other thing was I was a big runner, both in track and cross country. And there was a shirt I bought and cherished with Isaiah 40:31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They, will, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I wore it proudly at school to practice. I was a changed person. Actually, I remember seeing my parents after that festival. And I went up and gave them a hug, like a bear hug, and said, I love you. And I realized, I don't think I ever hugged my dad before in that way at that age. And it was great because I think he was kind of shocked, but pleased, and after that, it was almost like normal. And I could see I changed. And I believe they saw that change too. But little did I know that T-shirt I wore and about being weary, how that would catch up with me. Um, of course, at that age in high school, your friends are dating. And I, you know, I didn't really have an interest in girls or dating at the time. I'm, for the most part, I was interested in being a foreign exchange student. And I didn't even plan to go to college. I was so determined to be a foreign exchange student. And of course, being a Christian and praying after my junior year, I thought, hey, God, I have this desire. Why is it not happening? Um, and so I accepted the fact that I was not going to be a foreign exchange student. And I also realized that, again, my friends were dating, and I didn't, I didn't really think about dating girls. There wasn't that interest. And I, but I wasn't interested necessarily in guys at the time, but there was some type of attraction. I didn't know what it was because I had never met a gay person. Um, but my first love was God and that relationship. And so it didn't really bother me. So because foreign exchange didn't happen, I did the step that made sense, and that was to go to college without a plan other than to figure it out. So once I decided to go to college, I did what Christ was leading me to do, and that was join Campus Crusade for Christ, where I met friends, started going to church. But I also started realizing that I did start noticing guys more, and that maybe there was something inside of me that I wasn't really sure about. At the same time, the message in the church was creating a conflict from what I was feeling I might be and what the church was saying I should be. The other thing that was really predominant in society was your sexual orientation is a choice. And I'm like, why would somebody choose this? I, you know, if I could choose the other way and I felt the other way, I would choose it. But that wasn't the case. So I did what I did in high school and get really busy. At one time, in addition to my full course load at college, I was working three other jobs, which meant I had no time to think about dating and meeting other people. I was forcing myself into the closet. But then something happened my junior year of college. I met another gay male, another student. Uh, we hung out, you know, we connected. I mean, for the first time, I started feeling feelings, which was, wow, 
I might be able to love somebody. It didn't work out. Um, and I actually felt hurt, which was a new feeling I hadn't felt before. And so I, I actually celebrated in that because I was like, you know what? I can love because I can hurt. And that was the first time for me. However, as I mentioned, there was nowhere I could turn with those feelings. There was no social app I could look on my phone. There was, there was no one I can talk to. And I wasn't feeling welcomed in the church. I, I fell into a dark period, like a lot of young gay people, a lot of young queer people of faith that have nowhere to turn. I turned to an eating disorder called bulimia. It's not proud of it. It lasted for two years. It was the only way at the time where I could get some type of release. I wasn't into drinking and drugs and any other thing that somebody may turn to. And I certainly wasn't going to take my life because my relationship with God gave me strength. But I go back to that T-shirt. I was weary. So I took that bulimia with me and I moved to Seattle after graduation, West Seattle. I got my own apartment, started my career in public accounting, which at the time was a very conservative environment to be in. But if you ever heard of overtime in public accounting, it's there. And guess what? It preoccupied my time. I did not have to worry about dating anyone. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on that back then. HIV was present. Or during that administration in 1988, it was referred to as the gay plague. What else would push you into the closet even further? However, I knew deep down in my discussions with God, he knew who I was, who he created me to be, um, but I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being authentic at work, at church, with my family. And I tell you, after those bear hugs with my parents, back when I was a junior in high school, I loved, and I still do love my parents. But it was eating me up inside that they didn't know who I really was. I was living the closeted life. And I know when you think of closet, you think of maybe a big walk-in closet, plenty of space to go in, move around, maybe even sit down on a chair. This was not a walk-in closet. This was one of those tiny, dark, dirty, almost like a utility or broom closet where, you know, when you have something that you think should be thrown away, but maybe not, or, you know, you stick it in there for a time when it might be needed. My closet was filled with different personas. Let's see, who was I going to, what situation would I be in socially, or who did I need to be? But a closet can only hold so much. 
before everything comes spilling out. And so, as I was weary and broken, I continued to lean on prayer. I had some decisions to make. And this is when I had those decisions with God. I knew he loved me, and I knew he created me in his image as a beloved child of his. Even if I couldn't find validation in the church. But I knew I had to talk to people, starting with my parents. And of course, preparing for this discussion, I had to think about, I had to prepare for the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is that I would be disowned, or at least shunned from the family. The friends that I did hang out with wouldn't want to hang out with me. I had to be ready to start over. In that discussion with God, I, I think I even said the words, God, I know you don't make junk. And I am not junk. I'm just not being authentic. So putting my trust in him was the right thing to do. And I felt stronger than the hate that was on the outside. And my church became basically my daily my daily discussions and devotions with God. So I made that call. I made that call to my parents in 1988. And as you can imagine, it was emotional, more on my side, to get the words out when they said, hey, what's wrong? They heard something in my voice. And I had to say, I'm gay. And I didn't know what to expect. Were they going to hang up? They didn't. They actually came over to visit me the next day in Seattle. And it was just their support, their love. And of course they had questions and they, they really wanted to make sure I understood what I was talking about and they didn't try to force me to be anyone but myself. I knew over time that there would be some awareness both on my side and their side from the fact that, oh, okay, I just came out of the closet. How, how, do, I, how do I feel normal in those situations again? So I bought this book called Now That You Know, and I read it. Um, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is great information for people that have just had somebody come out to them. Called my parents, and I said, hey, I know you probably have a lot of questions. I have a book I want to send to you, Now That You Know. He said, oh, don't worry about it. I already went down to the library and, and read it, and I was blown away. And I said, good on you, Dad. I said, do you have any questions? He said, no, it's a good book. And I realized then that God gave me the best parents for my situation yeah. and for life. As things happen, the following spring, March of 89, my car broke down. I can tell you, I know how to put gas in the car. I can check the air in the tires. I can change a tire. But I had no idea where to even start looking. So I called my friend Scott. And I said, Scott, do you know anything about cars? And I didn't have a lot of friends at this time that I could call. And he said... No, um, remember you met Parker a couple months ago? Why didn't you call him? Yeah, I had met a guy named Parker, but it was in a kind of a social situation, you know, a small dinner, and I knew he was studying in medical school. I didn't have his phone number, and Scott did the deed, called and said, yeah, Parker said you could call him. He knows a lot about cars, and, and Parker does. So thank you, Parker. For the next three days, Parker taxied me back and forth from work, to my client, which I thought was generous. And so I said, hey, let me take you out for dinner. You went through all this trouble. So we went out for dinner, had a great conversation. You know, 
what do, you know, he's busy studying in medical school, I'm studying for the CPA exam, so what do two gay guys do on the weekend? They study <laughs> when they're free time. So we were studying together, we were getting to know each other, and then we had the opportunity to travel internationally for about five weeks in Europe, my first time to Europe. He, he had a plan with a, a female friend that backed out at the last moment. I had a lot of time from my banked uh, overtime, so I said, let's go on the trip together. That, during that time, we really got to know each other. And I tell you, if you want to get to know somebody, travel with them, for the good and the bad. Ultimately, we fell in love. And that period where I was so focused on my relationship with God, I can see how he was focused on bringing love into my life um, in a ways I would not have expected. And given my wanderlust for travel, I decided if I can't travel, I'm going to at least study it. So we moved to Arizona where he was practicing medicine. And I was studying international business. After four years of working based in Arizona, traveling the world, we had the opportunity to move overseas to Tokyo, Japan. My family was all excited. They brought up my childhood, say, you're finally doing your foreign exchange. And I said, yep, 20 years later, but with somebody I love. My parents said it was going to be tough being a gay person, and it was, because it was only until last year that you could get fired for being gay. And that's what happened to Parker as a doctor in Arizona. So this was an opportunity for him to put that past behind him and join me on a new adventure. We spent close to 15 years in Asia. In December 2012, we came back, and that was the year Washington State legalized gay marriage. We went to City Hall and said, what does it take to get married? And lo and behold, we got a marriage license three days later. On Christmas Eve day, we were married. That was a joyous Christmas family and friends congratulated us with the exception of saying, why weren't we invited? <laughs> I said, we weren't planning it. Um, you know, I can see how God was listening to me all along. And it reminds me of, you know, Philippians 6 through 7, where it says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So following the 15 years abroad, we moved back to Washington State in 2013. I was excited to come back, but it was a hard first year. Lost my father after the first, year, first week back unexpectedly. And during that next 12 months, I lost my boss, I lost a coworker, and I lost our dog. So again, I was weary, but you know, I knew what God can do. Um, and so through a lot of prayer, um, I was able to heal to the point where I was ready to find a church. As Sarah mentioned, lo and behold, we got a postcard. It was Good Friday of 2016. And when I checked out where it was located, I'm like, oh my gosh, I could walk there if I had to. Of course, we drive, but I could walk. And we came that first Good Friday. And I remember walking in the door, the welcome, the introductions. I just felt like, wow, 
this feels comfortable, this feels good. I felt the radical welcome, and I felt that I could be me at this church. That was the beginning of coming to Salt House. After hearing Pastor Sarah preach and the great music from Jason and the rest of the group, you know, we were hooked. And Parker and I had actually been planning our formal wedding for family and friends that we were reminded of constantly for that September. And after about a month, I think I elbowed Parker and I said, I'm going to ask Pastor Sarah to marry us. And she said, that's my job. That's what Pastor marries her people. For the first time, not only did I find a church, but I was like, I'm actually going to have a wedding or we are going to have a wedding just like we always dreamt about but didn't know it would be possible. I've enjoyed getting to know Salt House, not only the people in the community, but through the council in the role of treasurer. It's been an inspiring journey, a place where I've seen radical inclusion of all kinds, and I've seen the, the great things that are being done by the community when we open our hearts and our hands to God to see where he will lead us with our generosity. I'm even super excited that we will be funding Beloved Arise as one of our new initiatives. Because I want queer youth of faith to know that they can continue their walk with God. I was lucky I'm still here. But I don't know those that are out there that may not know that there is hope for them. There is a love of God. There is a love of beloved arise. So I'm forever grateful. And with that, I'm Greg. And this is my Salt House pride story because there's more than enough room at God's table for everyone. Thank you.